Lord, thank you again for bringing us here this morning. We ask that you would touch our hearts, Lord, that you move upon us and speak to us. Already you are moving, God, in such a sweet time of worship, God. And we just love you, Lord. We just want to spend more time with you. And now in your word, God, we ask you to speak to us, God, and that you move upon us by your spirit and that you would help us to grow, Lord. God, go deep, Lord, deeper than we ever been, Lord, with you. And help us to be true to you in our hearts and with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I came across this in interesting list of foods that you never knew were so dangerous. Now, there was a lot on the list. So I just picked out a few. And the first one I, I, I came across was actually tomatoes. Tomatoes. Well, it's not the tomato itself. Some of you got, are like, oh, I hate tomatoes. Yeah, I knew they were dangerous. No. But actually, it's not the tomato itself, but it's leaves. They contain a, a compound called glycoalkaloid, which is known for causing upset stomachs, severe cramping, and anxiety. So this article said, steer clear of the leaves and stems. Another thing on the list was almonds. Now this nut or this seed is good for you, but in their raw form, it is full of cyanide. They need to go through the special heat treatment in order to remove the toxins before you can safely eat them. I never knew that. I'll make sure, whoa, did you cook that right? No. <laughs> Another thing on the list was cherries. Cherries. Well, again, it's the seeds which contain this poisonous hydrogen cyanide. And even on the list, it was interesting, even apple seeds, peach seeds, plum seeds, uh, uh, pear seeds, apricots, all that, the, the seed you got to watch out because they have this compound that can turn into cyanide. Another one on that list of foods you never knew were so dangerous, and that is star fruit. Couldn't believe that. It says if you have a health if you have healthy kidneys, you're okay. But without them, the body would not be able to filter out the neural toxins, and which in just like three and a half ounces of its fruit's juice affects the brain and the nerves of the body. I never knew that. That's kind of crazy. One more thing I'd like to share about foods you never knew were so dangerous on the list was nutmeg. Interesting, huh? Nutmeg. They say ingesting a significant amount can lead to psychotic symptoms like disorientation, hallucinations, and hyperexcitation. So it's kind of like, oh, it looks like little Jimmy had too much nutmeg in his pumpkin pie. He's bouncing all over the place. Yeah. So watch out, too much nutmeg. nutmeg. But, well, it's true, right? We must be careful in what we put into our bodies. Well, as we continue our study here in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle deals with the issue of sexual immorality, which is very toxic to the believer's bodies. Why? Because your body is God's temple. And the, and the title of our message this morning is just that, Your Body, God's Temple. Your Body, God's 
temple. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 12 through 20. We ended in verse 11 last week. We're going to pick it up now in verse 12, finish off this chapter. Your body, God's temple. Now our outline today, and this is what we'll find, is number one, a new citizenship. So your body, God's temple, and because of that, we have a new citizenship. Number two, a new relationship. And number three, a new ownership. So let's begin here with number one, a new citizenship. A new citizenship. Take a look with me here now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. It reads here, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now we'll stop right here. We begin here with the Apostle Paul actually quoting a saying that had been going around the Corinthian church. That is, all things are lawful for me. So they were saying these things. It was going around the church. In other words, you know, they're saying, hey, I'm free to do whatever I like. Now it could be the Corinthian believers in this church took what Paul had taught and that is about how in Jesus as believers were free from the legalism of the law. And so we have this freedom in Christ as believers once we're saved. Well, they probably took that and went too far with it. Went so far to say, hey, it's okay to be a believer and be sexually active. Hendrickson in his commentary said, Free-thinking Corinthians were of the opinion that they could do whatever they please. So with this saying, Paul comes in and addresses their wrong thinking here on the issue of sexual immorality. And that's what you see those words in the very next verse. And this is what he's going to be talking about in the rest of this chapter. Now, We've seen many issues in the Corinthian church, haven't we? The pride, oh, I have so much wisdom. And they had wisdom, but it was human wisdom and godly wisdom all mixed in, right? But that brought in division, contention, and those are the things we've been dealing with at the beginning of this book. And then remember in chapter 5, Paul had to deal with the sin of a man sleeping with his very stepmother. And the church allowing that, tolerating that. And then last week, we saw how believers were suing believers. They're suing each other, in, in going into uh, secular courts for everyone to see. And we saw that in, last week, didn't we, in, in chapter 6 at the beginning. Well, here Paul goes on now with this list of things that the Corinthian believers were messed up with in their wrong thinking. So Paul goes on to confront how the Corinthian believers were allowing sexual sin into their life in the name of Christian freedom. So Paul says here in verse 12, yeah, I understand that. Okay, all things are lawful for me. Then he says this in verse 12, but all things are not helpful. Now in the original language in the Greek, the word helpful means profitable or good. In other words, it's not good for you. Yeah, you can say, hey, I can do whatever you want, but not those things that are good for you. So Paul saying, hey, number one here, you got to ask yourself, is being sexually active, sleeping around, really good for you? Is that really good for you? Well, we know it's not. Biblically, we know it's not. 
Back in Proverbs chapter 5 in Old Testament, verse 3, it says, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is wormwood. In other words, poison. Sharp as a two-edged sword. You can get cut up. And then verse 5 in Proverbs chapter 5 says, Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. So we know that sexual sin only brings more destructions. It's not good for you. So Paul's like, hey, number one, you got to ask yourself, is really sleeping around, is that really helpful? Is it really good for you? All things are lawful for me. With that saying, they're like, hey, I, I I can go sleep around. Well, he says the second thing now, doesn't he, in verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me. Again, he says that all things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, I could do whatever I want, yeah, but I will not place myself under its control. So the second thing Paul said, hey, you got to ask yourself, yeah, okay, all things are lawful. We have Christian freedoms, but freedoms, but isn't being sexually active putting you back into bondage of sin again? Isn't it just reversing what Christ has done and bringing you into that, that chain, that bondage of being under the control of sinful flesh? You know, reports show that pornography is an 8 to $10 billion industry. 8 to $10 billion a year. Why is that? Because people get addicted to pornography, right? It feeds that appetite of lust and the flesh. Yeah? It feeds a sinful flesh there, and, and you're caught up in that bondage. Remember last time we ended in verse 11, where Paul said, And such were some of you. They were what? Well, right before that, Paul listed this list of sins, and one in the list was being sexually immoral. But Paul was saying, hey, in verse 11, and such were some of you. Jesus saved you from these sins. He brought you freedom. So Paul's like, hey, why use your freedom in Christ to go back into bondage? Doesn't make sense here. You got to ask yourself, is being sexually active, sleeping around, got to ask, is it putting you back into bondage? In Galatians 5.13, Paul wrote, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Well, Paul moves on here. If you look at verse 13 now, he says, foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Well, as he moves on into verse 13, as he writes here, Paul quotes another slogan, another saying. I mean, they were using these sayings to, to, to make excuses and to justify that, hey, I, it's okay what we're doing, yeah, being loose in our sex, sexuality. So Paul quotes another slogan that was going around with this issue. And that was this in verse 13. Foods for the stomach and stomach for foods. In other words, hey, God gave us food and, and to feed the stomach which he made. So you know what? Eating is all biological. Yet they took that saying to justify sleeping around. It's like they're saying, you know, food for stomach, stomach for food. In other words, hey, sex is nothing but a biological function like eating or sleeping like your body needs or going to the bathroom. It's, it's just a biological function, so it's okay. 
So the Corinthian believers are justifying their sin by calling it just another function of the human body, yeah? A biological function of the body. You know, it's like today. Hey, if it feels good, do it, right? Why? why? Oh, well, it's natural, yeah? It's sex is natural, you know? It's, it's just part of what we are as human beings. But see, Paul is saying, hey, it's not a biological function like eating. And it's we're not talking about. Paul's saying, you know the biological function of eating? He says here next in verse 13, God will destroy both and them. God's going to destroy the stomach, food, all that. In other words, he'll do away with the need for eating when we live eternally in heaven. We're not going to need that physically anymore. Now, he says about the body now, he says, let's talk about the body. Now, about the body, it, the body, he says in verse 13, is not for sexual immorality. In other words, the body is not, never, had never been designed for sexual immorality. God did not intend for believers to use their body to sin against him. That's what he's saying. It's not intended for sexual immorality, for sinning in a sexual sin. But you know what? The body was made, says here in verse 13, for the Lord right? The body God gave you is made for the Lord, to live for Him, to serve the Lord, to, to give your life, your body to the Lord. And he ends in verse 13, and the Lord for the body. In other words, the, the Lord is also there to take care of the body. And He's, he's, he's mindful of your body. Now understand this, the Greek thinking was that the body was just some shell. It was just a shell, the physical part of the body. The real you is inside of you. The real you, your mind, your heart, your soul. So you know what? That brought on this, this other conclusion that, well, if the body is just a shell, then you know what? We got we to gotta discipline it. We got to be like a monk. We can't, you know, we got to. But then there was another thought to that is, well, you know, the body's just a shell. The real you is on the inside. So you know what? You can do whatever you want in your body. And that was a Gnostic thinking too. Well, you can sin with your body. It doesn't matter because it's separate from inside your soul. So that thought was leaking into the church and the believers were justifying their sin here. Calling it, well, hey, it's, it's just a bodily function. But Paul's saying, hey, you guys, no, you know what? God did not create or design the body so you can use that to sin against him. No, the body was made so you would serve the Lord. No, the body was made so, you know what, God has interest and he's going to take care of the body. Matter of fact, and he goes on in verse 14, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Well, Paul is saying, as God raised up Jesus from the dead, remember he died in his resurrection, right? Easter Sunday, resurrection Sunday. So you know what, God will also raise us up from the dead by that same power. He's going to give us a new glorified body to live in heaven with him. See, our bodies, even on this earth, are not designed to do sin. It's really God wanted, he made us to serve God. And not only that, but we're going to have a new body that's going to be able to live with him in heaven. We're going to be citizens of heaven. 
Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He said, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 21, he says, Who will transform our lowly body, our earthly body, to be like his glorious body? So Paul's really focusing in here. What, he, what his, point is, his point is this. In view of the fact that God made your body and has one for the future, why defile your body with sexual sin? Why defile your body with sexual sin? In view of the fact that God made your body and has one for the future, why defile your body with sexual sin like the world is doing? Paul's really, really putting this forth into the Corinthians' thinking. In 2014, this internet dating site called Christian Mingle did a survey. They polled unmarried believers between the ages of 18 and 39. They asked this question, straightforward question. This was how they were polled. The question was, would you have sex before marriage? And you know what? The shocking response was this. 63% said yes. 63%. Now, this is a Christian yeah, single site. The article went on to comment on, on this survey saying, when it comes to sex, most Christian singles are not any different than atheists. They act as if God has nothing meaningful to say about their sexual practices. They actually, the article went on to call these kind of people who say it's okay to have sex before marriage Christian atheists. Doesn't make sense. How, how can that be? But it does make sense when you think, oh, it's okay as a Christian. Well, that's the Corinthian believers. They're thinking, well, sex is okay outside of marriage. It's Christian freedom. Hey, it's a biological function. You know, all things are lawful for me. Hey, you know, food for stomach, stomach for the food. Ah, it's all okay. Even though they're still believers. Paul's saying, hey, no, that's not what it's about. It's not about that, you guys. Hey, you got to think about, is it really good for you? No, it's not. Is it going to bring you back into bondage of sin? Yeah, it's going to do that. You can't be doing that. You can't justify, oh, it's just a biological function. Matter of fact, the body was made for you to serve God, not sin. And you know what? We're going to get another body that's going to live in heaven. So in view of the fact that God made your body and has one for the future, why defile your body with sexual sin? You are a, a Christian now. A, you have a new citizenship. Why be like the world? Is that your thinking today? Maybe you're thinking, well, hey, we live in a modern time, yeah. I mean, that kind of thinking is the old Victorian way, Right? The Bible has to be relevant for today. But remember, what was the thinking back then? The Gentiles, the Greeks, are, oh, it's okay to sleep around. That was the thinking, just like we see in the world today. Is that what the Apostle Paul is saying here? Is that what the Word of God is saying in this passage? Now, the world's way, it seems so natural, right? Oh, it's so nice and romantic. But don't forget the consequences. Is it really good for you? Don't forget what you're really doing before the Lord. 
Don't forget those consequences. You're taking a chance if you're crossing this line. You know what? If you play with fire, what? You will get burned. If you take chances in that way. I remember when we were in Tokyo and uh, we, were, we were touring around a little bit after we saw my son Justin Okinawa and we went to Tokyo and did some ministry there and then we were touring around in the city and, and I walked by this, this, this window, it was a restaurant, and posted in the window in this sushi place was, the, was this official government permit and they needed to post that permit in this restaurant so they can serve fugu. You know what that is? Pufferfish, right? So they can serve pufferfish. So the government has uh, only highly trained, certified chefs, you know, who are qualified to prepare this poisonous fish so you can eat it yeah, in your sushi. Now, maybe you think that's okay. Justin said, well, I tried it, Dad. Or, uh, really? Oh, no. I would, uh, you know, maybe you like that sort of thing. But me, I would never eat it. I mean, think, I, was, I always think about the worst. Yeah, like, what if it's not prepared right? What if the chef was sick and, and they got this dish boy in the back, you know? And he said, well, it's okay. He watched him the night before how to do it. Like, no way. I would not take that chance with my life. Well, would you play with fire in sexual sin and take that chance? Of what it will do to you? The consequences consequences yeah i mean it seems so romantic right in the movies in the tv but how many marriages and families been destroyed by sexual sin and think about how with your sexual sin haven't you seen enough of the lying the cheating the stealing the bitterness the hatred the anger the hurt and the pain the guilt, that is the fire that destroys. Paul, Paul's like, hey, in view of the fact God made your body, it's for him, and he has one for you in the future. You're citizens of heaven. You have a new citizenship. Why defile your body? Yeah, with sexual sin. Why do that? Warren Mersby wrote this, Sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it is not his, and he will one day pay for it. Mersby goes on and says, Sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into a bank. There is safety, security, and he will collect dividends. I like that. Well, let's move on here to number two in our outline, a new relationship. A new relationship. We've seen number one, a new citizenship. Now Paul goes on and talks about a new relationship that we have. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh we'll stop there now paul goes on here to say don't you realize now that your bodies are members of christ that you're a part of jesus christ that you are connected to jesus like an arm like a leg to a human body you see as a christian we are in this new relationship right we're spiritually connected to jesus now 
when we get saved. We become part of his body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 27, Paul said, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So Paul's like, would any believer then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Would any believer like take his body and join it, make it a member, join it with a harlot, harlot, like sleep with a prostitute? Paul says, certainly not in verse 15. In the Greek, that's a very strong no way, a very strong never, a very strong no can, you guys. Then he says in verse 16, or do you not realize a believer joined sleeping with a prostitute, having sex with her, is what? One body with her? Paul's talking about that union that sex brings. Union that brings in, uh, he's talking about the mind, soul, and heart. Not just the body. Now understand the Greek word for body here speaks of the body as a whole. Not just the stomach or organs and glands and parts, but the entire package. It speaks of the mind, the heart, the emotions, the soul. You can say it's all body and soul, body and spirit here. Shall become one flesh. What's he talking about? One flesh in marriage, right? How two individuals are intimately connected in the act of sex. The body is united in a deep way. He's referencing way back to when God created marriage and put Adam and Eve together. So then, as a believer, Paul's saying, why sleep with the prostitute? For you're becoming one like you do in marriage. C.S. Lewis wrote that each time a man and a woman enter into a sexual relationship, a spiritual bond is established between them. So, Paul goes on in verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He's saying, now understand this. With the Lord, when we're joined, when we're connected with him as believers, we're like what? One spirit with him. We're one body with him. So with all of this in verse 16 and 17, Paul's saying, think how you are one spirit with Jesus. So when you sin sexually, united with the prostitute, you've dragged the Lord right into your sin. Disgusting, right? Now, understand, in mentioning prostitutes, harlot, it was no shock to the people of the Corinthian church. For in the city of Corinth there back then, up on the hill where everyone could see is the temple of Aphrodite. If you know your history, Aphrodite is the goddess of love, right? So this temple was famous. This temple was known to have 1,000 female and male prostitutes. Corinth was a port city. Corinth was a, a, a merchant type of city. So many sailors, many business guys came through and they would go basically to worship there, right? Basically to be with prostitutes, alive with female and their male prostitutes. And they were basically sacred. They were like the priests of this strange, weird religion, Aphrodite. So Corinth was this worldly and sinful city. Sen sexual encounters with prostitutes were common. It was so common that it came to be known, if you, if you went into a prostitute, that you were Corinthianizing. That was the term. Oh, yeah, I Corinthianized last night. It was so bad. So Paul basically is saying, 
hey, as a believer, you're one with the Lord. How could you be Corinthianizing while Jesus is inside of you? Here's this point here. Paul's saying sexual immorality is not just a biological act. Do you see that? He's bringing that in. Sexual immorality is not just a biological act. For a believer, it betrays your spiritual union with Jesus. Sexual immorality is not just a biological act. It's a union, a spiritual union, right, between a husband and wife. But for a believer, it betrays your spiritual union with Jesus. You know, I once heard someone say that living together is like taking a test drive in a car. They say, well, you wouldn't buy a car until you did, right? So it is, you know, with, with marriage. You've got to try it out first. But living together like a married couple, I'll tell you what, is not like a test drive. It's not like test driving a car. It's not like, well, we got to see if two human beings are biologically compatible, right? No. When you live together, when you have sex together, you're giving yourself to this person, bonding, uniting, becoming one as God intended sex to be. But you see, with living together, it's, it's doing that without any assurances, any commitments for life, right? And then at any time, you can break it off. You can go drop the car back off at the dealer if you don't like it. It's not a car, right? It's not like test driving a car. We're not cars here. Think about And every time you leave, you break it off, you tear that intimate bond, that oneness, that's why it hurts. That's why it scars. When God said all the way back in Genesis, and Jesus also quoted that back in Matthew 19 too, that a man will be joined together with his wife. The word joined really talks about glued, about a permanent bond. It's like crazy glue. And if you take like, say, two pieces of paper and crazy glue them together and then you try and peel them apart, what is, what's it going to do? It's going to rip apart. That's the idea. Every time you have sex with someone, you're joining in the tension of the way God had made it and created a union. Not just this bodily function. No. It's spiritual. It's emotional. It's, it's, it's soulish. It's something God created for marriage. And you know what? Every time you have sex with someone and you leave, you give a piece of yourself away and you can never get that back. Paul saying sexual immorality is not just this biological act. It's a spiritual union that goes on. And for a believer, not only that, it betrays your spiritual union with Jesus. So even more worse for a believer, right? You betray that union you have between you and Jesus. Is that you today? Are you sleeping around? Living together? These are very relevant topics because it has gotten so loose even with Christians in our standards and what the Bible says today. Do you realize the damage that's happening both emotionally and spiritually? Paul's saying, hey, think about this. It's not right. Sexual immorality, 
it isn't, oh, it's just a biological act here. It's a spiritual union going on, and it betrays your union with Jesus. Don't do that. One young man asked his grandfather, hey, Grandpa, your generation back then didn't have, like, STDs, venereal disease and stuff. What kind of contraceptives did you wear to have safe sex back then? Well, the old grandpa sternly replied, Son, you know what we wore? We wore a wedding ring. I like that. You don't have to worry about safe sex when you save sex for marriage. Let's go on to number three now, a new ownership. So your body's God's temple. Why? Because we have a new re- citizenship. Number two, a new relationship. And now we have a new ownership. Number three. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. All right. Since sexual sin betrays your Savior, since sexual sin is like going back into bondage, it's not good for you. Since sexual sin it isn't part of this Christian freedom, no, not at all, right? Then you know what you do? Well, look at verse 18, right? Flee sexual immorality. Flee means run, yeah? Run away. Notice it doesn't say, well, take a stand there, face the temptation. Dig in. No. It says what? Flee. It says run. Why? Because we understand sexual desires is very strong. But even more so, Paul goes on here to say why. He goes on in verse 18. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body. Now he's explaining here. First of all, Every sin begins from the inside of the heart and that desire and that it, it turns into a thought and then it moves out and turns into an act, an action. So it goes outside of you. It's an action. James chapter 1 verse 14 says, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So Paul's saying, look, sin in ger- general, now, It does not involve the body itself. It's more about the action the person takes. That's the idea here. But he who commits, he says in verse 18, sexual immorality, sins against his own body. The idea is that sexual sin corrupts the person, the body, right? Not just the body, but his mind, his heart, his soul, everything, the body, soul, spirit. It corrupts a person at the deepest level. Why? Because it violates that union of two persons that should be within the boundaries of marriage. See, we understand this. God created sex to unite a husband and wife in that deep, intimate, physical, spiritual union. But sexual sin touches all those areas like no other sin can. So Paul is like, sexual sin, yeah, it's like any other sin, but its consequences goes deeper into the heart, into the life, into the body, and devastates the soul. That's what he means. That's the idea when he says it's against your body. You know, I read about a 16-year-old girl who came to see the pastor, and 
She was telling him she couldn't live to see another day. She said she hadn't looked in the mirror because she could not bring herself to see her own face. The pastor asked her why. Well, she said, because I am so rotten from having sex with so many men. She was ruined morally. And the pastor said, though she was 16, she looked like she was 40 years old. The pastor then talked with her, counseled her, and then witnessed to her, shared Jesus Christ with her, and led her to receive Jesus Christ. And you know what the first thing she said after praying was, for the first time in years, I feel clean. That's what God does. God does that for us. So here's Paul. He's saying since sexual sin is so deep and devastating to you, run away. Run away from the strong and sinful sexual desires. Sexual sin is so deep and devastating. Run away from the strong and sinful sexual desires. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 22, flee also youthful lust. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, NLT says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Run away now if you're caught up in this. Run away. It's hard to control that sex drive. Don't th just stand there. Understand what the, the, the principles are looking at here. Understand what God is saying, what Paul is presenting about what sex really is. I mean, we, we think of it in such a dirty way because of the corruption of this world and how it, it puts it out. But you know what? God made it to be a beautiful thing, the union of a man and woman in their marriage. I mean, that's what Song of Solomon is all about. Run away. Sexual sin is so deep and devastating to you, run away from sexual desires. You know, in Genesis chapter 39, we see a great example in the Bible when Joseph was approached by his boss's wife. Over and over, the wife would come up to him, sleep with me, sleep with me. Then one day when no one was in the house, she grabbed Joseph by the coat. Lie with me, Genesis 39. And what did he do? They're alone. He's a young guy, good-looking wife. What did he do? In Genesis 39, 12, it says, he left his garment in his hand and fled and ran outside. He got out of there. Run away. Well, verse 19 now, Paul says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So Paul now adds this now as we come to the end of this chapter. Paul adds, don't you know by now that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, whom the Father gave. And we understand it. We've talked about that many times, right? When we come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Jesus promised the Helper to come to be with us. He's saying, do you know, hey, your body is like this temple because the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, is God living inside of you. Whoa. Now, the Jews had two words that they used for the word temple. The first word in the Greek is hieron, which describes the entire temple complex, the entire temple 
property. But they had a second word now, naios, naios in the Greek. And that referred to the temple interior, inside, specifically the holy place and the most holy place or the holiest of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was and where God manifested his glory, where the priests would go in and meet with uh, the, the, uh, God, his very presence right there inside the temple. Well, guess which word Paul uses here? He uses the word naios, the innermost part of the Jewish temple. So Paul's like, realize your body is the very naios of God. It's the very place where God's presence dwells. Oh, that makes you think, right? Even more so. David Guzik put, put it this way. A temple is a place sacred to God and pure from immorality. If it is true we are filled with the Spirit and if we commit sexual immorality as Christians, we pollute God's temple. So you see how sexual sin corrupts his temple. Well, Paul finishes now in verse 19 at the end. He says, and you are not your own. Verse 20, our last verse. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So on top of all that, Paul is saying, don't you realize you're not your own, right? You no longer belong to yourself. You are under new ownership you have a new ownership it's the lord four verse 20 you were bought at a price what is that the blood of jesus christ shed on a cross first peter 1 18 through 19 so paul is bringing this image like a slave bought at the auction jesus has bought you 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 have a new master you're owned by a new master now and that is jesus christ Paul said in Ephesians 6, 6, as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We're bondservants of Jesus now. And then he says, therefore, right? Because you're temple of God. Therefore, because, because you belong to Jesus now. Therefore, you know what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In your body and your spirit, he's talking about the whole package now. Your life, your body, who you are inside out, your soul, everything. Glorify God because you belong to him. Live your life in your body so to bring honor to the Lord. Usually, you know, when you borrow, say, a, a friend's car, maybe his truck, and, you know, you're very careful with it, right? Yeah, you're careful where you park it. Yeah, you're careful that, you know, you're not going to go too fast or brake too hard, you know, and stop the car. You're careful, oh, I'm not going to have that, that drippy cheeseburger, you know, and, and make a mess inside of you. You're, you're careful. Why? Because you, you usually take better care of things that don't belong to you, right? You, you, you want to be careful in that way. Well, so should we be with this body. It's not ours. We should, we should be careful to live for him, to serve God. We should be careful with what we do with this body, right? We should be careful to give God the glory and honor in how we live. So our last point this morning is this. 
Paul's saying, your body is now God's temple purchased by Christ's blood. So do not corrupt this body with such sexual sin. Your body is now God's temple purchased by Christ's blood. I mean, he, he died for you. Is that how you're going to treat yeah, what he did for you? Your body is God's temple purchased by Christ's blood, so don't, do not corrupt this body with such sexual sin. I like this story by Flanner O'Connor. He wrote about this uh, Catholic nun who gave this young girl this strategic way to fend off young men in the backseat of cars, this story said. This sister Perpetua taught all of her girls to say one thing in those situations. Stop, sir. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I like that. Yeah. We should say that to ourselves in those times of temptation. Stop, Rick. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit where the Holy God lives. We should be saying that, right? Stop. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Stop. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. One more time. Stop. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember that, you guys. Remember that before the Lord. Honor him with that. This is what Paul is talking about here. Remember, you are a temple of God, and if you remember that, may it keep you from clicking on that pornographic site, from continuing to watch a sex scene on TV rather than ah, skip, fast forward. Remember that so that it may keep you from climbing into bed with another man's wife or, or man, another wife's uh, man. Remember, you're a temple of God and may it keep you from being loose with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Remember that. For how can you corrupt God's temple and partake in sexual sin when the Holy Spirit is right there inside of you? What's the better thing to do? Run. Yeah. Run away. Get out. Yeah. Get out and just run. Run away. As far away as you can, too. I'll close with this. Four applicants were being interviewed for the job of chauffeur, and the lady of the house um, pointed to a brick wall along the driveway and, and, and asked the men, how close do you think you can come to that wall without scratching my car? Well, the first candidate, the first man said, I can drive within one foot of the wall without damaging your car. Well, the second candidate then said, you know, you know what, I can, I can come within six inches of that wall without damaging your car. Well, the third man then just interrupted him and piped up and said, I can do better than all, all of you. I can come within three inches without damaging the car. Well, then the lady of the house looked at the fourth guy and the fourth man, and, and he looked back to her and said, well, you know what I say? I do not know how close I could come to the wall without damaging your car. But 
I would instead try to stay as far away from the wall as I could. He got the job. That's the way. That's the focus. The fourth candidate had a different focus. It's not the ability to, to, of how close you can get. Yeah. No, it's to keep a wide margin of safety from disaster. See, if your goal is to constantly get as close as you can without messing up, the reality is one day you will mess up. And, that's, and that holds true with sexual sin. Steer clear. Stay away. Turn and run. Why? Because sexual sin, sexual desire is so strong. And it's so devastating. It affects you way within. So, always keep this truth in mind. Your body, God's temple. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, may our lives be lived for you. As we come before you, may our hearts be given to you. Lord, forgive us for our sinful hearts, Lord. Lord, we know that you can forgive and you even died on a cross for our sexual sins, Lord. And right now you can make us clean as we confess these things before you. And Lord, if there are situations that we're in right now, I pray for those, God, that they would mend that, that they would make it right before you. If they're living together, being loose with one another, sleeping with one another outside of marriage, God, let us turn and repent before you. Confess our sin. Be cleansed and forgiven and live the life that you want us to live as believers. God, thank you that you have the power to forgive. You have the power to heal. You have the power to free us and to save us from our own self and save us today, Lord. And God, as Romans 12 says, may our lives be living sacrifices given over to you. This body, a living sacrifice, truly reflecting the temple of God that it is, that you have done, Lord. And God, in all that we think, in all that we say, in all that is in our heart, in all that we do, May we be careful to always give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.